It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. A very thoughtful piece in the Washington Post newspaper by Dr. Ben Carson, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and founder of the American Cornerstone Institute at AmericanCornerstone.org. It's a simple proposition with a very complex history and discussion, in my opinion. The title, Move In Our Focus from Equality to Equity Won't Defeat Racism. It's another kind of racism. Dr. Ben Carson joins me now, and this piece really, really had me thinking and reading and rereading. And then I realized, Ben, I need you to lay this out for the folks in your own words, from your view, guided by your life and your history. When you talk about equality versus equity, it's a it's a bold statement, my friend. Well, David, uh, first of all, it's always good to be with you where common sense is not a strange thing. Um, But, you know, this whole issue of equality was something that Dr. King fought for, you know, throughout his adult life so that people could be evaluated and treated like individuals, like people based on something that they have control over, which is their character, not over something they have no control over which is the color of their skin. And obviously that makes a lot of sense if you stop to think about it. But now we've entered a situation where people say, no, the defining characteristic for you is the color of your skin or some other external characteristic that you cannot control. And in addition to that, you're taking other people, like white Americans, and saying you're evil because of the color of your skin. They're even teaching that to very young children, that you're evil because of the color of your skin. And what impact will that have going forward? All you have to do is look at some of the other societies, you know, Syria, Lebanon, places where, you know, people start in India started evaluating people on external characteristics and look at the in, the chaos and the, the just the carnage that occurred as a result of that. It never leads to a good place. And the sad thing is that we were making such incredible progress in this area. Now, people on the left won't admit it, but, you know, when I was a kid growing up, there was real racism. And it was very rare to see a black general or a black admiral or CEO or a Fortune 500 company or even a mayor or police chief. Now those things are common. Uh, They would not admit that that's progress, but that is huge progress. Um, People socialize now. You don't even think about it most, most of the time. I don't think most people go into a room and say, let's see how many black people are there. I don't think they do that anymore. And uh, we should celebrate that. But if you need to create chaos and you need to fundamentally change a society, you have to create chaos. 
one of the best ways to do that is with identity politics and drive wedges between people on the basis of everything that you can find. And one of the easiest things that you can find, obviously, is race. There's a component of this, and I'm curious how you see it, which is economics combined with skin color. You mentioned black generals, black admirals, the first Zumwalt-class destroyer, for example, named after uh, black admiral. You, you look at all the big figures, Bob Johnson, BET, Kathy Hughes, uh, Radio One, people that have achieved basketball players, sports athletes, use their skills. But the economics of the average man or woman, for that matter, that begins to get better, takes them away from being the easy victim. How much do you see the left using uh, ethnic components, whether it's color or otherwise, against people who are actually achieving because we've seen wages increase, economic opportunities increase for blacks and for, as you write about in your article, the latest definition of BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, black indigenous people of color. Again, a construct made to create a difference. How much does economics play into that? Well, economics is a, is a very important uh, issue here. Um, but what people need to recognize is that when you don't factor identity politics into your economic philosophy, everybody does better. You think back to the last administration. Uh, taxes were reduced, regulations were removed, an environment was created that spawned a lot of new businesses, uh, minority unemployment was at its lowest level in history. Uh, wages were increasing. And, you know, those are things that are anathema to the left who wants to find a reason to fundamentally change our society. That's why, for instance, you know, whenever there's a, a shooting of a black individual by a white policeman, you know, that is like gold for them. And uh, even though, you know, it's not a, an everyday occurrence like they like you to think it is, um, if you can take that and you can magnify it, and this is where the media has played a, a terrible role and been horrible disservice to our country. Um, you just take it and you magnify it out of proportion to what really exists. And you make people think that this is something that's occurring all the time and that you have this unjust, racist, systemically racist society and that you can blame everything on somebody else. And uh, this is, again, antithetical to the principles that made this into a great nation. This was a nation where people came because they said, I can work. I can use the talents that God has given me. And, you know, I can benefit myself, my family, my community, and my nation. And as we destroy that mindset and we make it seem like give all power to the government because they know what's best for everybody and they'll take care of you from cradle to grave. But you have to create great unrest in order to be able to replace the system that we have with that kind of a system. 
The word responsibility comes to mind as, as I listen to you talk. My guest, Dr. Ben Carson, founder of American Cornerstone Institute. Uh, when you think of responsibility and what it can mean, we each have different definitions, but the responsibility within a community to look at what's really going on around them. You, you reference in the article the black home ownership rate today, it's at its lowest level since the 1960s. Hundreds of billions of dollars in spending on various types of redistribution program as you write about it. And that didn't achieve the quote equity, again, back to equality versus equity. But is there a lack of responsibility or have we just arrived at a point where there isn't responsibility for the community to look within itself and say, where are we really? Whether it's a shooting, recognize that you, you know, regardless of the incident, for example, in North Carolina, a 188 page rap sheet for a crack dealer got to that point where there was that interaction and that shooting or economically education and a strong family unit or at least some form of blended family unit where's how do we deal with that and how do we get that responsibility recognized and more out front well i think i think we have to look at real data um and and base what we recommend on the basis of that data you know poverty is a problem in our country um and since the war on poverty uh, you know, we have really not made a lot of progress. And it's because we're not looking at the data. The Brookings Institute study, very broad-based study on poverty in this country, and they're a left-leaning organization, by the way. I said there are three things a person can do to reduce their likelihood of living in poverty to 2% or less. Number one, finish high school. And that is so critical, education, and getting a good education. And that's why the previous administration focused so much on choice and education. The second thing, get married. We're talking about the stability that is provided by family. And as we destroy the core values that are administered by a family, you get chaos. And then the third thing, wait until you're married to have children. Emphasizing, once again, the whole concept of using your brain to actually plan. That's the reason that the, the human brain is structured differently than most animal brains. We have these huge frontal lobes. That's where you do a lot of your mental processing. That's where you can integrate information and plan for the future. Most animals don't do that, so they don't need a big frontal lobe. We have a big frontal lobe, and many cases don't use it. Um, but, you know, if, if we started basing our policies on these facts and stop injecting politics into everything, I think we could make enormous progress extremely quickly. And you saw in the previous administration how quickly things turned around when taxes were reduced, and more importantly, a, a lot of regulations that were just unnecessary were gotten rid of. At HUD, you know, we got rid of 
thousands of regulations and sub-regulatory measures that weren't contributing to anything except complexity and uh, making things take much longer than they needed to. Down at the street level is where I think a lot of this is. And, And I see that when I go to these neighborhoods uh, and I look at the people that are there and I see people who they may be poor, but they're not poor in maybe their intent. I know people who want to achieve more. I think it's more human to want more. It's how you want or the nature of your want. How do we get down to that level? Let's use the family as an example. The The family structure in the black community is broken when you go into poor economic environments and likely they're not going to have an immediate turnaround into two parent with a birth rate that changes from single parent birth rate to married with an income but there's a blended family structure and and, you know there needs to be steps out of this because there won't be that radical turnaround so how do you think we go into that just that area, Ben, and begin to move people out of it? Well, right now, you know, there's no consequences, you know, for, you know, having, you know, babies that you don't, haven't planned to care for. There's really no consequences for that. Uh, So why wouldn't people do that? Uh, That's not particularly helpful. Um, and I'm not saying you should be mean to people who are already in that situation, but there's really nothing that stops you from saying, look, starting, you know, three years from now, if you do this, you're going to be responsible, not your neighbor. You will be responsible. And no, nobody has a gestation period of three years, so you know, they've got plenty of time to think about what they're doing. And then we need to be thinking about how do we provide opportunities? Let's say for you've got this young woman who's, who's got three kids who never had a chance to finish high school. You know, that's a very unfortunate situation and it, and it has generally a bad outcome for those children. How do we change that dynamic as a society? Because it will do us good as a society to change that dynamic. We need to put in place a mechanism so that she can get some child care and get her GED and get further training so that she can become self-sufficient and begin to teach self-sufficiency to her children. You'll never break the cycle unless you start doing it that way. You have to think ahead and what are the consequences of the actions that are going on. You know, do you have to remove some of the I mean, I don't know if carrot's the right word. You talk about there's no consequence. You know, if you have a child, you have the programs that automatically come in and prop it up. I I, I, I get the point of the three year, you know, three years from now, there's a consequence. And on the other side of this, the women typically get left with the problem, which then grows another generation in those children of problem. And you and I, I've been there with you when you address these issues. I remember the grandmother, the mother, the grandchild, same apartment, same unit, same, same area, you know, just no to problem. see that. And and what about the men? Let, let's talk about the men for a second, because 
you know, the man contributes in the making of the child, but sadly in this situation, the responsibility and the man are gone. So how, how do we address the men in this equation? And we've got to get real with some of these guys because they're walking away and the problem is being perpetuated. They're, they're not being asked to face the consequences of what they've done. And they're not asked to be a part of it. And the system has been designed in such a way that in many cases they're pushed away because if uh, the woman has a subsidized apartment and then he comes to live with her and to contribute, then she has to report that so that her rent can go up. Uh, that's not necessarily going to create unity in a family. So, you know, we as a society are partly responsible for it because of the kind of policies that we put in place that actually don't promote the creation and the maintenance of families. And that's something that I talked about often as when I was secretary. But for the most part, it fell in deaf ears. People want to maintain the system as it is, even though it's highly destructive to family formation. There's so much more. You and I need at least three hours to start the conversation just on this article alone, Ben. Uh, the second line in your headline as we you know, wrap up on this, it's another kind of racism. I wanted to work through this to get back to that headline because that statement is a bold statement uh, when you talk about equality to equity and that it's another kind of racism. What do you mean in raw terms? Yeah, well, what is racism? Racism is treating people differently on the basis of their race. And wouldn't that be the case if you punish people of one race because you think that their forefathers did something and you reward people of another race because you think their forefathers were disadvantaged. Isn't that racism also? If it isn't, what the heck is it? Uh, the same thing, you know, when it comes to reparations. Uh, if, how, how do you determine who gets reparations? Uh, do you do it on a percentage of sub-Saharan African uh, DNA that you have? I mean, how do, you, how do you determine that? And how far back do you go? Do you just go back to when slaves were brought over here? Or do you go back even further uh, when African slaves had people from other cultures? I mean, where, where do you actually stop? And, you know, when you sit down and you start trying to actually hammer out how it's done in a fair and equitable way, uh, you very quickly see that it's untenable. And I think people who are advocating it know that. But, you know, it sounds juicy. It makes for a nice, juicy issue. But anything that we do that is based on race is racism. And that's why I have always advocated doing things based on need, not things based on race. 
I have what a question that I can't answer fully, and I think the problem is it evolves constantly. And I'll I'll tee it up this way as my exit question for this and for the audience as well, because they've heard me say it before and talk about it. And it's the point of blacks in this country at any level. I have a radio show. You have a huge platform as a public figure or someone just walking down the street that there needs to be a conversation or an approach in some way where blacks speak to whites who are falling into this guilty white privileged existence even more to your point about another form of racism that we as blacks need to talk to whites and say you're not guilty by the color of your skin i i don't know the approach i i think of ways to do it but i think that's a needed public conversation well you're, you're correct in the sense that talking through issues is much more likely to result in a solution than getting into our respective corners and cursing at each other which is where we are right now. And I think if most people actually get together, and, and, and we need to sort of get away from from all the labels uh, and just say, look, you're an American, I'm an American. Uh, what are the problems that exist in our communities? What are the facts? Let's put the facts on the table. And then let's sit down like intelligent, rational people with the facts on the table and solve the problem. Now, that's the way rational people would do things. Uh, People who are not really interested in solving the problem, but rather in creating a situation, would probably never agree to sit down. What they would much rather do is call people names and, you know, create a lot of havoc. And we see a lot of that going on. I think the rational people in our society must begin to insist on doing what you just said, David. They must insist on open conversations that are not manipulated by the media, but that can be seen and heard by everybody. But do you understand that there are those who don't want that to happen. That's the reason on your university campuses, you know, they go through such efforts to make sure that conservative speakers can't come. They don't want that conversation because they frequently cannot defend their positions. It's it's a big challenge to us right now. And just like we are, you and I are speaking. I think people need to really not only talk to each other, but then take that bold step, take that risk and go with each other. It's always a great conversation, my friend. It's a, it's an, it's a really intriguing piece because of what it presents. Uh, your and, piece and let me just say Washington one, one other thing, David, before we close, and that is there's something unique about the United States of America, and that is we were one nation under God. We had faith, and we lived by Judeo-Christian values of loving your neighbor, of caring about the poor. As we've replaced that 
with something else, that something else is not good. It's a very important point. And that something is also partly the state, which, again, breaks down the family with its policies coming back full circle to what we're discussing. Uh, Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. It's always good to be with you. Take care. An opinion piece in the Washington Post by Dr. Carson. Moving our focus from equality to equity won't defeat racism. It's another kind of racism. Uh, It's open. You can read the article. Share that one with your friends. It Actually, I spent a great deal of time thinking it through. And that needed conversation. 866-95-PATRIOT-957-2874. Right now. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.